Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention The Bip Show in your message. Now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Northbridge, Sydney. You are listening to the all-new BIP show season... Oh, here we are in season five now, episode one. I've decided to start a new season in my little break-off last week. Thank you for joining me again. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. That is actually what I do. Not that I'm here to spruik that, but my name, James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, I just got back from Davos to be here, so thank you very much. Uh, this episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is the 8th of the 7th month of the year 2022 AD. The time is 10.06. The market's open. It's probably going to be up. Iron ore is up on a big Chinese bond issuance and stimulus that they've just uh, announced they're going to pump into the market. Uh, Boris Johnson may or may not still be the Prime Minister by the time this podcast is finished. Um, gas prices seem to be going up astronomically in Europe. There's some real trouble there. I'm hearing stories about uh, big landowners in Germany cutting off uh, heating uh, or reducing heating to uh, to their tenants, which is pretty drastic and sort of one of the, the, the situations that we foresaw coming a little while ago and, and a real sad case over there. We've also seen that Joe Biden thinks that he can control oil markets at the pump too, which, is, uh, which has been a real cause for comedy uh, comedy relief over, over the week. We've got jobs numbers coming out tonight as well. Um, doesn't matter about expectations because it doesn't really matter about expectations, but we've also got uh, this weird circle going around in the markets going on uh, where, <laughs> and I tried to explain it just on TV a few minutes ago, that oil came off a lot earlier in the week on global recession fears or on global contraction fears, and that seems to have put a little bit of a floor underneath the market, which has gone up because if oil is coming off, then that brings down inflationary fears. Um, which inflationary fears come down actually reduces the threat of a recession going forward because then oil comes off. And if oil then goes up off the back of that because if recessionary fears come off because global growth fears actually don't, then you can sort of see the way that your head hurts in this market at the moment. And that's sort of where I'm at um, explaining this now. I'm still supporting quality tech uh, at the moment and picking it up, and we've seen that's been going quite well. Buying copper on big dips as well, and oil is absolutely going to be necessary. There's my spiel. Now, I've decided we're going to go coal-facing uh, this week, and people have really loved it when I've done that in the past, and we're going to be doing this. So this week, it's all about debt. It's all about lending. It's all about the Australian market. And I've got a couple of coal-faced guys in there who are actually in there day-to-day talking to clients, talking to people, talking to banks, talking to, 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 to the high-end level lows that you actually need to hear about. And we've also got a senior economist from AMP. We've got Diana Messina 
in here. She's uh, she, she blew us away when she did the podcast ages ago, about a year or two ago, I think that was. Been keen to get her back on. I want to get her back on for like an entire show, but we uh, I just decided to give her a bit of an easy one this time and and uh, and just sort of ask her the how, what, and why of what's going on. But she's going to add her two cents, and it's always good. So Diana Messina, we're just going to just just hold off on that for a second because we've got. I want to talk to the coalface guys uh, to begin with. Now we've got a couple of uh, mortgage lenders, commercial lenders. Um, car and business lenders, but I'll let them introduce themselves. First off, Ben Anson, Principal at Legend Finance, um, a really great guy doing uh, commercial and home lending. Uh, ben, how are you now? Good morning. Good morning, James. Uh, now, Ben's been in the market since 89, I think he said, uh, and that's that's quite a significant amount of uh, amount of carpet underneath the, underneath the feet, mate, to, uh, to really give yourself some experience in what's going on in this market. Certainly. Well, the world's changed significantly since 89. Back in 89, we, I think the first home loan I wrote was at 21.75% for an investment property and um, <laughs> Citibank had home loans at 19% and then uh, they plummeted to 11%, which we all thought we'd won lotto. But it certainly is that the world's changed enormously, not since then, but yeah. pretty much in the last few years and particularly, again, in the COVID-induced changes we've seen in the lending landscape. No doubt, no doubt. I'm also joined by Josh Woodhouse, a finance specialist at S3F Group, located in Borkham Hills. Josh, how are you now? Good. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me on this morning. Very excited to have this discussion. No problem at all. Now, same question, Josh, I ask all of my des- uh, guests, just so that people can get uh, a hang of exactly what it is that people do in areas. Now, the highest of fund managers and the lowest of retail brokers like myself get asked this same question. Um, what do you do and how do you make money? Um, so similar to Ben, um, I'm in very similar industry. My main focus is residential lending, however. Um, as part of the business, we do do commercial lending. However, my business partners have the handle on that, and I mainly do the residential lending. Um, so we get paid by the banks for introducing business to them, uh, as opposed to them having a branch located in a physical presence. They pay us for the introduction. So that's no probably the gist of it. That's it. Ben, same question to you. Uh, well, it, as Josh said, yes, um, as a broker, whether we're writing home loans, uh, residential or residential investment loans, or indeed commercial loans, uh, we're licensed with 46 lenders. Um, mainstream remuneration, though, to our company is um, via the banks. Um, we've had in place, though, for, for quite some years, nearly a decade and a half now, we essentially um, have a professional services fee attached to that, similar to you might pay to a lawyer or an accountant. Um, depending upon the product that a client may require from, from whichever lender is going to be the most suitable at that given time, yeah. uh, a commission may not be payable to our company, so we, we charge a fee for service. But in the main, it's uh, we're remunerated by the banks. Um, but given the amount of hours now we invest in a, in a file, we often um, do have a, a fee schedule for clients. Uh, we'll talk about the fees in a touch because I think my industry has been uh, has been beaten around by the fee changes as well. But but we're not here on that one today. Um, although I could go down that rabbit hole, but I won't. Um, Josh, mate, do, do you want to just run us through what you're seeing at, at the client face? Sort of what's changed, what's not changed in the last, let's just say that maybe the last six months or so. It's yeah. very hard to compare this industry month to month, and I'm sure Ben can attest to this because quite often we're doing the work today and we'll see the reward or the result in three, four months. Um, so there is quite often a lag, but I suppose at the coalface, there's definitely a change in sentiment. Um, I'm still seeing a large number of inquiries on the lower end of things. So maybe first-time buyers, they're still quite keen. I think they right. understand that their rent is going to go up as interest rates go up, so they're still looking to buy regardless of the higher uh, interest rates. Where I'm seeing a bit of a slowdown is probably the higher end of town. 
where people buying maybe north of one and a half million, two million and above, they're expecting a greater, I guess, uh, decline in the property values. And they're seeing that there might be some sort of benefit if they hold off. Um, so I'd say that the large amount of inquiries at the minute are probably first time buyers still. Um, investors and refinancing, a lot of people looking to make sure that they're on the cheapest rate they can be in the market with rates going up. If they can save half percent to 1% off their loan, you know, there's two increases from the from the RBA that they've kind of just absorbed. So that's probably the the bulk of the business I'm seeing coming in the door in the last two months or so. Um, yeah, that's that's brilliant. Ben, can you attest to that as well, or have you got a slightly different story? Well, similar to, to what Josh um, put forward there, uh, um, those first time buyers and uh, the feedback to our, to ourselves has been they're either sitting back, think we should do something now, let's see what we can afford, even though we don't, we may not have the deposit saved that we were aiming for. Let's see if we've got what we can get. They're being uh, the, the first home buyers are being encouraged by. In the main, I'm seeing other family members saying you better get in uh, or friends. I'm seeing the flurry of COVID-induced fear of missing out. That has certainly died off. Yeah. Um, feedback I'm getting from a number of real estate agents that we might deal with all points of the compass in Sydney. I don't refer to the Sydney property market as one market. I think you know Hornsby is very different to Bellevue Hill, which is different to Beecroft, which is different to San Susie, different to Greenacre or Blacktown. They're all very different, unique. Telling me, yeah. Uh, property markets very, very different. Um, uh, uh, so we're seeing, but the feedback I'm getting from a number of agents are that their inquiries, both phone, have dipped by a good sixty percent. Real estate agents are now planning on staff contingencies, which staff they may consider letting go before Christmas. Is that so? But they're waiting to see what happens after winter, whether the spring traditional carnival kicks in and uh, will spring be a big time. So they're sitting on the fence now with staff numbers. Um, uh, but we're seeing, the, the, the uh, as Josh alluded to, the higher end. So I'm looking at some of your traditional blue chip suburbs like your Northbridge, like your Camarays, Balmain, Birchgrove, Mossman, Balmoral, to name a few. I'm not singling them out for any particular reason other than your listeners may have heard of those suburbs. Um, <laughs> we're finding that banks are changing guidelines as to their deposit requirements. Um, we're seeing some of the prices that hit record highs six or so months ago. Again, I believe due to COVID uh, instigated fear of missing out. We had a lot of expats returning from the UK and America. They had big um, big bank accounts due to bonuses in US dollars or, or euros or pounds. Uh, we're seeing that markets die down, but we're still seeing your run-of-the-mill Properties I'm seeing uh, in certain areas up to that one and a half, 1.8 mil mark are still changing hands regularly. Yeah. People, rather than rushing in, are now really dotting their I's, crossing their T's, getting the calculator out working. They're, they're more, uh, a lot more questions around what are our repayments, what are the interest rates, how do we structure the loan. And we're then now seeing value has become God again because the market isn't increasing by percentage points every month. Uh, we're now seeing some valuations returned well under the contract price. Uh, there it is. So, so the, yeah, the, the, I remember the value has always been God was a bit of a, a, a real funny thing. It probably was part of the reason, in my view, as to as to why there was such a well, there was there was such a sort of a disparity between <laughs> some of the some of the things that you saw in the market. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole though. But you did mention um, banking requirements in there, Josh. Uh, I'm going to ask you first, and then go Ben as well for any anecdotes or changes that you've seen. At the, at the coalface and the banking requirements, what are they asking for more? What are they asking for less? What are they absolutely saying no to and saying yes to? Look, I'm not seeing a change in the requirements from my side of things. I think the biggest thing at the moment to juggle is the servicing changes as we go. Um, some banks will honour. So the servicing rate, to, to, I guess, to the listeners is how they determine your borrowing power. Um, some banks will honour the borrowing power at the date the loan is submitted. 
Some will actually change it as it goes if you haven't reached a formal approval. So I guess that's the biggest thing to juggle is that those who are pre-approved, um, the, the, the benchmark that they're trying to work off is potentially moving and a moving target. Um, as far as the supporting documents that are being asked for, I don't think that there's too much of a change on that front. Um, as a result of all this, I think it's really just a moving target around what they can afford um, as the interest rates increase. Um, the average household uh, that I've been working with, I would say their capacity is dropping by as much as 100,000 each time we see half a percent increase to the assessments, um, which is a big change. Uh, that is a big that's, change. That's definitely something that we're struggling to work with. You have a client, uh, in particular, I guess the biggest thing is investors buying off the plan. They're looking at buying something that might not be completed for a year. And we do the assessment today and go, yeah, look, that's, that looks fine. There's a bit of fat there. It's not tight. But can we confidently say you'll be able to get that loan in 12 months? Uh, there's a risk there. There's a gamble there. There's a number of things. It's the assessment rate. Uh, the, the figure that the banks are using for living expenses is expected to change with inflation uh, kind of driving so high. So there's a few variables at play when it comes to determining how much someone can actually afford in the eyes of the bank. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult thing to manage at the moment. That is extraordinary. Also, the other risk that's up in the air is whether there will actually be a building company around to build the thing that is off the Correct. plan as well. Yes, um, indeed. You've got a couple of risks up in the air. Ben, have you seen any changes at the banking side with servicing or, or even – and that there is an anecdote that you told me because, it, it, listeners, Ben actually was the broker who managed to help me put together my um, most recent uh, mortgage situations and, uh, and was fantastic at it. Can't recommend him highly enough. Um, but Ben, I remember you telling me something, uh, bits and pieces about the bank while we were going through our stuff a while ago. Well, I, going back to Josh, yes, I agree that the requirements for paperwork <clears throat> hasn't changed from a, a, a legislated or a, a credit guide point of view. Um, and Josh may have found this also uh, amongst the, the gaggle of lenders that we all work with. Um, <clears throat> there's been no legislated requirement from the Royal Commission in, in 18 as to <clears throat> what recommendations from Justice Hayne um, banks had to adopt. Banks essentially gone down their own path and decided to uh, amend or, or recalibrate their lending practices. What's essentially occurred is we, we are requiring to obtain from clients far more paperwork. Banks have become very pernickety, I'll use that word, on uh, credit card limits. They've become very pernickety on the um, PayPal or ZipPay, ZipMoney short-term facilities that some clients may have in place. Ah. We're advising clients really close those down if they can because they really do knock your borrowing capacity around. As Josh said, an interest rates change of half a percent. We're seeing that similar that clients are being knocked around you know, by as much as 150000 again, depending on the bank in borrowing capacity. We're seeing that pre-approval that may have been attained in uh, April this year, well, certainly the lending landscape and the amount that that couple could borrow or that individual could borrow today has changed, which is frustrating people. So we're doing a lot of hand-holding, educating clients on what they can and can't afford. But the biggest thing we're seeing in relation to construction, and I don't know if this is the, the example you're alluding to, James, but um, if a client is engaged a builder in January this year and they were fortunate enough to do so, and we have a fixed-price building contract, let's call it a million dollars to rebuild a new property, yeah. add, extend or renovate, um, because of the floods that took place, we're seeing the cost of building materials have gone up not a few percentage points, but by three to 400%. So we're now having banks arm wrestling with builders because the builder turns around to the uh, the couple and says, I know we have a fixed price building contract in place of a million, um, but we've gone through and reassessed. The Reese taps he wanted have now gone from $27 a tap to 43 Construction timbers changed from $1.75 a lineal metre to now $5 a lineal metre. Yeah. Concrete's gone up by 40%. The list goes on and suddenly the builder will turn around to the bank um, I've got to amend our building contract for one million to two point seven. 
And that's, that's a big number. <laughs> how do we do that? So we're seeing a, a fair bit, a few challenges with that. So those, they got their construction loans finalised a few months ago. We're fortunate because, again, we've lost three sawmills on the south coast that were supplying wood to a better part of New South Wales. They were lost in the fires, haven't been rebuilt. And in February, March this year, we lost three sawmills on the upper north coast, um, Tweed Heads, um, Grafton and um, uh, Taree. Those, those sawmills are now running down the Tweed River somewhere out to sea. <laughs> so we're now bringing wood across from South Australia and Victoria. When, and now I saw a note yesterday that some wood's coming across from Western Australia. So we're seeing the cost of materials increase dramatically. Um, so I think that's going to have a, a great, that's going to flow down to the general lending arena very shortly. Yeah. I've seen that happen with a few developers who have gone through the, the challenges of DAs through councils. And their builders are now turning around to them saying, I've got to do a 40% cost increase on you. And if you don't sign the contract this month, it'll be 60% next month if I can find the materials. Yeah. And so that's we, a big we... change for the dynamics of that. And that's, that's what young couples I'm seeing who are buying off the plan. I'm having couples at the moment who bought off the plan in, in Canberra and Orange and elsewhere are now getting revisions to their contracts. Yep, and and that was echoed too in the in the episode that we did a few months ago with Graham Howland from GVH Constructions, who who was telling us about some of those cost increases and where they had to get wood from, and the fixed the fixed versus the variable costs um, inputs in there, and how many building companies are going to go down. He did predict that there was going to be a few building companies to 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 crash, and I think how many have we had so far? We've had three, I want to say three thousand this year. Small building companies, but that sounds like a headline that I've just pulled off the top of my head. But look, I'm going to bring in uh, Diana Mussina, a senior economist from the AMP, the AMP, AMP, it's not like KLF. Diana, how are you now? Hi, James. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having now, me on the program. That's right. I hope, I hope you're uh, battling through what feels like this week really did feel like a whole new COVID situation again. I've got kids at home. I couldn't go outside mm-hmm. because of the rain. Um, I, I was getting flashbacks. All I was missing was. Gladys Berejiklian and telling us that um, telling us what the case counts were every day. It did feel a bit like that. I was in the same boat as you as the kids, and now we've been told that we can get another booster. So we kind of are back to twenty twenty one. So look, uh, what uh, what was old is uh, is new again. But what is changing? We've just heard from Ben and Josh um, actually at the coalface talking about what's actually changing at banks, what's changing in lending, what's changing in 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 building and loans. Uh, from your high level view, are you seeing anything that that reflects this at the moment and what might be ahead. Basically, it's just an open slather for you to tell us all your smart things, please. (laughs) The sentiment towards housing has definitely turned and I'm not surprised at all because we've seen the RBA hike rates by 1.25% pretty much in two months. All of the uh, real-time housing data like auction clearance rates have softened in Sydney and Melbourne. They're just over 50%, whereas a few months ago they were closer to 70 or 75 percent consumer sentiment has tanked to nearly an all-time record low on some indicators not including the COVID situation in 2020 when we didn't really know what was going to happen at all. Uh, Home prices on the daily CoreLogic data are down more than one percent since the first rate hike (gasps) and I mean a lot of this stuff was already occurring before the RBA started lifting interest rates, we were already starting to see a weakening in momentum in the housing market because we obviously had a huge run-up in the past two years and you you couldn't just keep on generating that same level of activity or demand because you don't necessarily have – you still have a limited stock of people who want to 
um, get into the housing market or upgrade. Plus, we've also had the hit to our pop, to our our population, so we haven't had that demand from migrants coming in. And so, so the RBA was hiking into an already weakening housing market, which doesn't usually tend to be the case. Home prices tend to be increasing before the RBA starts the first rate hike. Yeah, they're trying to and they're trying to camp it down. Um, now, talking about rate hikes, a lot of people are saying it's a the messaging was wrong. Um, that 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 they didn't um that they didn't say that this is the way that people decided to hear it that they they weren't going to raise until twenty twenty four. It's a little bit inaccurate, actually, if you ask me. Is there anything you want to clear up with the messaging with the RBA and what people should have maybe been paying attention to at the time? I think everyone just uh, clamped onto that message that there would be no rate rises until twenty twenty four, and it was a little bit misinterpreted. Uh, I mean, I don't want to put all the blame on the RBA. They, they, uh, the RBA should have been um, uh, not as dismissive of market pricing because the market pricing was expecting rate hikes to start a lot sooner. And we at AMP, I just want to spruik our own forecasts. We yes. were suggesting that we would get rate hikes this year as well, and and I, and there were some other economists as well, not very many, but there were a few as well who were talking about earlier rate hikes. So the RBA shouldn't have been as dismissive of those market views and those economists' views, uh, but at the same time, I think uh, the people, the media, um, people in the housing industry, they just clamped onto this idea that 2024 you wouldn't get any hikes on, you wouldn't get any hikes until then. Where there were a lot of qualifications around that, the RBA said that they don't expect to hike if the situation pans out the way that it did and their forecasts were completely wrong so the situation didn't pan out at all like what they expected which is why they had to quickly shift how they were doing monetary policy yeah the okay so so now just on that same theme we'll go into what you see as actually now sort of being the next steps with the monetary policy and also maybe with with any other policy that's going to be coming around and then we'll go back to the guys and sort of see how that might shape the way that their jobs are going to look in the next 12 months so we think uh, that we'll get a few more rate hikes this year. The cash rate will end the year at about 2.1%, so not as aggressive as market pricing at the moment. I mean, the market pricing for the end of this year for Australia is still around close to a 3% cash rate, and even the median economist expectation, I think, is probably closer towards 2.5% or so. And then we see two more rate rises at the beginning or the in the first and second quarters of next year. So we see a peak in the cash rate ultimately of 2.6%. And the market pricing, again, is still much higher than that, close to 4% in a year's time. So we just don't see the RBA being able to lift rates that far. So a few more rate rises to go, obviously more pain for households because the cost of living has already gone up so much with interest rate rises and higher essential inflation. But there is unfortunately more to come. But and I'm just sort of thinking about the bond market, and this is where you need maybe Marty Wetton from the CBA on this one to correct me on this one. But if you if you can lock in a four percent that the that the rates market is actually expecting you're going to get, but it's not going to get there, it might be a good chance to pick up some bonds in the portfolio potentially. I'm sort of just toying mm-hmm. with that idea. Um, James, on the back of what Diana is saying, go uh, for I hope it. I'm jumping in here. That's the point, mate. I I, um, I uh, have got similar, well, yeah, very similar views to. Deanna there of the rate moves. I, I, just on the RBA, again, not wanting to put them in the uh, in the hole, but I think their communication and the way in which they've disseminated their thoughts 
to the Australian population has been very poor. Hence, you've got others saying, but you said not till 2024. He said, she said, they said. <clears throat> I think in six months' time, we'll forget all that. I think the, the, the increase in rate is going to have their desired effect on property. But what it might do is in the last 10 months or more, maybe 18, we've seen quite frenetic action there. And Josh may have seen this too, where clients may have bid for properties and paid more than they should have, uh, maybe borrowed more than they should have. And as I've said to real estate agents, conveyances and lawyers on both sides of the equation who are facilitating these transactions, there's a number of parties that help get a house purchased. Um, If we all work together and slow down and calm down, the transaction will be consummated. And we've had delays to some of the settlement periods for properties being purchased due to COVID. You might have the real estate agent can't get back to the property to a pre-settlement inspection because they have COVID. You might find the occupants have had COVID, the, the valuer can't get in, the values of COVID. We're seeing those disappear now. So those buying may not be put under the pump so much as to have to make a frenetic decision at an auction. I mean, very few of us are trained of how to behave and operate at an auction. It's a very stressful time for those, particularly for bidding for our own property. We might see some of that stress go out because there aren't as many people bidding and real estate agents actually start really earning their keep and not taking orders, but working with potential buyers and knowing that a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, um, what, what are you seeing ahead based on, based on what Diana told us about the rate rise increases and the messaging that's going to be coming out? What? Yeah, look, I think I share a very similar view to Diana and Ben. Um, I think that the RBA, um, look, I think that the, the media is probably more the issue with how they set the consumer's expectations around the 2024 thing. Um, that's probably the biggest issue. And I mean, when isn't the media an issue for our markets? So what a shock there. Um, When it comes to the rates, I agree that they're also, the market's indicating rates much higher than where it will get. Um, I guess to give some data to kind of back that up, I would say a competitive owner-occupied variable rate at the moment, using the big four, it's probably somewhere between 2.7 to 3% after they provide a discount. So if we then look at the fixed rates they're offering on longer term, some of them are up around, you know, well over 6%. Um, that means that we need to see further increases to the cash rate of more than 3%, um, which I just, I can't see happening. Uh, I share the view that Deanna had. Um, I, yeah, I think 2.5% will be kind of around where it gets to. Um, there's not too many economists out there predicting that it will go as high as the market indicates. So Fixed versus variable, a lot of clients are just taking the variable and running the gauntlet at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I think it's that's kind of what I'm suggesting with clients, but at the same time, if someone is sitting there shaking in their boots about what the variable rate could do, I ask them if they're comfortable paying the rate that's being offered for a fixed term and if they would be happy to pay that for the next however many years, then that's their choice. If it helps them sleep at night and it means that they're not you know, wide awake staring at the ceiling wondering what the variable rate's going to do next week, then... Maybe that's for them, but I'd say ninety-five percent of clients are riding the variable at the moment. Now, the uh, Diana, this is sort of a little bit of the off-the-cuff question. A lot of people are talking to me, and a lot of people are talking in in media circles about a fixed rate. Well, they're calling it a fixed rate cliff, but I suppose it's more of a peak when people sort of come off that honeymoon honeymoon season of being on these big bulks of people that are on fixed rate areas. Uh, Are you across any of that that you could help us out with? Is, Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? What is it really going to going to cause in the market? I would call it a moderate deal. 
I Ooh. lending for fixed mortgages over the past two to three years is worth something like 30% of the total housing book for so the total stock of housing debt that's coming. That's not insignificant. I, I, I'm one of those people who's um, part of my mortgage will end up um, going to variable at the beginning of next year. So I will also be experiencing this fiscal cliff. Yeah. Uh, and it will it's it will be a huge adjustment to to uh, to people's weekly mortgage spending. I mean, even on an the average household holds six hundred thousand dollars worth of mortgage debt on just the current rate rises. That's an additional um, about four to five hundred dollars a month, and that's just on the current rate rises that have been done. I mean, that's a, a huge increase, and with uh, people moving from record low fixed rates onto a doubling of that rate and if not even more than that, there will be pockets of stress in the market, which is why we think that we will have a pretty significant growth downturn in the second half of next year. And we actually see the RBA having to cut rates again in the second half of next year as the consumer slows and as inflation comes down more significantly than they expect because of some of these strange things that are going on in the in the inflation data. There was also, of course, the problem, of, not the problem, but um, the change in the last few years where about 60% or 70% of lending was going to, to fixed loans, whereas usually uh, it's the inverse of that, about 70% of lending is variable. Um, I don't know if the others want to correct me on that, but those are the types of stats that I've seen in the bank data. So uh, the, the the fixed cliff is an issue and it will cause uh, some disruption for many consumers, I think. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm just looking at CBA's most recent presentation. I think for first first half, first quarter, I think of the year, they were talking about that their cliff uh, for their for their lenders was second half. The bulk of their fixed fixed rate mortgages that were coming off that was going to be in the second half of 22. So, uh, and I believe it's around December. So, uh, Diana, you're spot on middle of the middle of the road demographic on um, on on exactly what's going on there. So, I think that you're you're about right. So. It's a moderate thing. Um, now, look, I'm going to open it up to the to the room. Um, we're almost out of time. Speak now or forever hold your peace, guys. And Diana, too, if you've got anything else to, to throw in, and then I'll close it off. Yeah, look, um, I wouldn't mind taking the mic. I think something that's going to be interesting is seeing how the average consumer adapts, um, as Diana said, when they come off their fixed rates. They've got a big adjustment. Now, I don't think that there's going to be too many that are going to be in a position where they can actually sell because they still need to live somewhere. So if rents are increasing, is it viable for them to sell and go and rent? Um, there might be a small handful who had moved out of home and have the opportunity to live back with family. But I think for the vast majority, they're going to have to tighten the belt. And that may limit the number of stress sales we see. And in my opinion, the number of stress sales will dictate how far the market falls a little bit. That's good. So I think it will be interesting to see how the majority of households adapt when they are forced to, when their fixed rates end. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, the thoughts of you guys on that. Ben, anything? Well, Josh makes a very, uh, I think, good and salient point there. We've had a number of clients who have, I think, knee-jerked and reacted to a real estate agent knocking on their door and offering them a, a crazy price for their property. <clears throat> They've taken it and realised, where can we buy it? So they're still renting. Uh, so they're now finding a challenge to get back in the market, whether it's to buy their own home or other. Uh, they believe that there will be some distressed sales. So I hope for their sake, in their own world, they're right, because at, at the moment they're paying significant rent 
for the fact that they sold their place and made a you know a nice gain. Um, I think Josh Josh's point: Will there be that many distressed sales because people will adapt to the new environment? Um, I'm thinking uh, I'll back Josh's point there. I think that will be the case. Yeah. Um, I know others. Uh, I mean, we're just not seeing the people jumping into buying some of these big blue chip properties for you know that are six, eight, ten, fourteen million or more. That's a very unique market. Uh, they're not the, that's not the type of market that we would read about daily. I'm seeing that those that are back on what Diana said, locking into fixed rates. Our clients a year or so ago, they were more concerned about fixed rates before any rate rises. Our level of inquiry for fixed rates now isn't all that frenetic at all. People are just keen to get a loan and secure a property and then worry yeah. about the fixed rate afterwards. Because, again, when we put the scenario to them, the economics of it makes it a pretty null point, really. I mean, just get the loan, get it approved and, and secure your property. We're finding a lot of people had additional money and they were frustrated they couldn't pay the sums off their fixed rate loan that they would have liked. Fixed rates, depending on the lender, some of them have restrictions around the quantum you can pay off your fixed rate loan in any in a year, yeah. Um, uh, we're seeing borrowers become a little bit more savvy, knowing that they need to cross T's and dot I's. Um, I think buyers will just become more wary and um, won't be caught up in the the uh, the emotion that we've seen. I think in the last eighteen months, two years, there was there was a fair amount of emotion. Look, I, speaking of which, I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Uh, ben Anson of Legend Finance, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Thank you, James. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. No worries. And Josh Woodhouse of S3F Group, the finance specialist there. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for the opportunity, James. It's been a pleasure. I will absolutely put links to uh, both of your websites so people can contact you if they want to know anything more or want to actually maybe get a loan, which is fantastic. There's never been a better time to get a loan in the Australian market and do something silly. Um, the and Thank you very much, Diana Mussina, uh, Senior Economist, AMP. Thank you for having me on. Cheers. I'm going to book you in for a full 40 minutes next time. Um, I'm going to pick your brain about a bunch of stuff too, especially about Uzbek food, which I, I, I saw that you actually <laughs> quite enjoy here as well. So um, we'll get into that. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, now, you, you have been listening to The Bip Show. Uh, don't forget to rate us, uh, subscribe to the show, do all that stuff, and uh, check us out on Facebook, check us out on Twitter, check us out wherever you need to check it out. I, I'm going to be putting links to the guys' uh, websites on uh on my website, Whelan Capital is where it is. Google that. Follow the links to the BIP show, and that's where it is. I'm James Whelan42 on uh, Twitter. This show is sponsored by Bridge Street Capital. Um, don't forget to send Bridge Street Capital Partners a note. Uh, the email is at the top of the show, and, uh, and I can get it to you again. And, look, that's about it. It's produced by Drunken Monkeys, and that's the end of the show. Thanks for joining us. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.